Bible. We have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. We are in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 1 today. Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of Anchor Church. Uh, I will pray for us and we'll dig in. And if we could just take a minute, uh, if you could pray for me, if you could pray for each other, and you could pray for yourselves that today we'd hear from God's word and we'd hear God's voice. Uh, Jesus, you sit on a throne. You are the King and this is your day. We are your people. This is your word. God, I pray that we would stand bold in the truth of who you are uh, in the storms of the status quo, in the storms of the day to day, in a world that calls us to believe anything but you, Jesus, that we would be like light in the darkness, that we would show grace to a city who needs it, that we would not uh, while out and be worldly nor be religious. Pray that we'd hold fast to You, that we'd trust You, Jesus. We'd believe You, Jesus. We'd believe in the Holy Spirit. We'd live like the Holy Spirit's with us. We'd live like this book is the truth, because it is. We don't believe some dusty stuff on a shelf, Jesus. We believe You. You're seated on the throne. And Your Word is the truth. Help us, Jesus. Whatever's of me, get rid of it. Whatever's of you, I pray, would just shine through for us today. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, we're in 1 Kings, and we'll be starting in 18 and 1. Uh, we're working our way from about 17 to about the beginning of uh, 2 Kings 1, and we're looking at the life of Elijah. Uh, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, and, and I think we can't say enough that the point here isn't to look at Elijah and see a guy and be like, that's my example, and it's all about being cool like Elijah or strong like Elijah, but really seeing the God that Elijah serves, seeing the God that Elijah is responding to, and seeing who God is in the life of Elijah, for better or for worse, on his best day and his worst day, and to see Jesus for who he is, the same God yesterday, today, and forever, the God that Elijah serves. Uh, and today in 18, we're going to be looking, leading up into next week, which is probably my favorite story in the whole Bible, where they have a showdown uh, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Uh, however you want to pronounce that's fine. Um, but in this, we're going to see Elijah uh, stand up against Ahab, the nasty king who's in charge of everything and ruining everything. Uh, and, and today I want us to see with Elijah what it looks like for us to stand with Jesus, to have the audacity to stand with Jesus uh, in the storm of the status quo. And, and when I say with Jesus, I don't mean buddy Jesus Uh, The Jesus who's sort of on our side with everything. Uh, Jesus who seems to have joined joined my political party, whichever side that's on. Uh, The Jesus who's gotten behind my uh, my, uh, thing, the thing that I'm after, whatever that might be, the movement I'm trying to move. But rather, it's me with Jesus going where Jesus is, listening to Jesus, following Jesus, and not me next to buddy Jesus, but me beneath the cross, standing under the cross of King Jesus who saved me from myself to a life in him. That's important. It's not Jesus on my team, it's me on Jesus' team. And those are two different things. 
Um, in addition to that, when I talk about the storm of the status quo, um, we live in a world that's trying to get us on every side. We live, uh, Martin Luther's going to talk about these two ditches like a drunk man on a donkey that we're inclined to fall in. We fall into legalism on one side and then we fall into worldliness on the other. Uh, we fall into one trap and then we swing the pendulum to the other side. And there's this storm raging around us that wants to distract us from Jesus and the reality that he saves sinners uh, and, and to serve so many other gods other than him. And we have to be attentive and watchful and cling to Jesus in all of these things. And we have to be bold against the status quo because if we're trying to make what we do relative to the world, oftentimes we actually miss, if we're trying to be relevant or prove the world, hey, we've got something to offer to you. Whatever the world thinks is awesome is a moving target. The status quo moves all the time on a daily basis. It moves all the time. It's not us trying to prove the world uh, how what we have can can be rad for them, but for us to point to Jesus. And when the world sees Jesus for who he is, that's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the same God across time and places and cultures. Jesus. And we're clinging to him in the midst of the storm. Let's go ahead and dig on in. Okay, so here's the scene. Uh, We saw last week and the week before that that Elijah had prayed. Uh, It had stopped raining for three and a half years. And here in 18 in verse 1, uh, there's a king. His name's Ahab. He's a bad man. Uh, we're told that it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of his, the fathers who were before him. They were not good kings. We're told in, in 1 Kings 16, it was a light thing for Ahab to do what they did. Not a problem. He does much worse. Uh, and we're going to begin to get introduced to his wife, Jezebel, who's an interesting woman in and of herself. Uh, and she causes a lot of problems for a lot of people, along with Ahab. Uh, They are a mess. But here we go. In verse 1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He's a prophet. God speaks to him directly. In the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now, when you stand against the, the king who's in charge of the place that you're at, we're going to hear in a second how many of the other prophets that Ahab's managed to kill. Your job today is to go in front of the guy who kills God's prophets. Oh, prophet of God, let's go. Uh, He doesn't protest. He doesn't have a complaint. He goes. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, over Ahab's household. He's an assistant to Ahab. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel, that's Ahab's wife, Cut off the prophets of the Lord. That's a nice way to say she killed them. Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So they've been sitting the war out, so to speak. They are in a cave somewhere, and Obadiah keeps bringing them bread and water. And the hundred prophets plus Elijah, 101 prophets that are left, are sitting in a cave waiting to see what happens next. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses uh, and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. So this is a sense of where uh, Obadiah sits uh, in the, the government, right? The king says, I'm going one way. I need you to go the other way. The king's doing one job, and Obadiah is doing the same exact job in a different direction. So Obadiah is up on the chain of command. He's over the household. It's famine, it's severe, and now they're looking for water. And as Obadiah went on the way, behold, Elijah met him. 
And Obadiah recognized him, we haven't seen you in three years, and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? Remember, Obadiah loves, loves God. And he answered him, It is I. Go and tell your lord, Behold, Elijah's here. Obadiah, your job today. Go tell Ahab I'm here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give, me, give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? Why do you give me such a horrible job, Elijah? What did I ever do to you? He's just going to kill me for that. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they, and when they would say, he is not here, he would take an oath to the kingdom of the nation that they had not found you. So this is, this is serious. He's going to the kings of, of other nations and making them pinky swear that Elijah is not in their country hiding out. He's not here. No, but for real. Is he here? He's not here. No, but for real. I want to kill him. I want him to die. And then they pinky swear or switch a shoe or whatever. This happens in Ruth. I'm not joking. It's there. Um, he is not here. He would take an oath of the kingdom or the nation that had not found, they had not found you. And now you say, go and tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. So he's been using all of his resources that he's not using to try and find water to find you, and you want me to walk up to him and say, oh, by the way, he's here, majesty. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you uh, I know not where. So Obadiah is saying, okay, cool, you're here right now, um, but I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He might just pick you up and you're gone, and I tell Ahab, hey, I found Elijah, and then when you're not here, then he's really going to for real kill me. He's going to kill me, kill me. It's a bad day for Obadiah, at least in his mind. And so when I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord. So he's, what's he saying here? I love God, I trust God, you are God's prophet, but seriously, this is not going to go well for me. We can do that sometimes, right? We can do that sometimes. Yeah, I know prayer changes everything, but seriously, that guy is so rebellious and so nasty, he will never be a Christian. Oh, oh I know God's people are generous, and I know God takes care of problems, but you don't know how much debt I'm in. I know, it's, I know God can do miracles, I'm not going to get that job. I know God does miracles. He's not going to heal this illness. And we go down the list and, and we sort of use uh, the setup, right? It's, it's half a truth, right? It's disbelief. We say, oh, yeah, I know he's the God who does X, Y, and Z, but he's not going to hear my cries in this time and in this situation. I know he's the God of the universe, but I must not be in his hand. Right, we do this. This is what Obadiah is doing. This is a very human thing. I know God's enough, but fill in the blank. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? He's making a deal, right? Okay, Elijah, you just gave me a hard thing to do. But didn't you know how faithful I am? I, I don't have to do the hard thing. I was faithful in this other thing. Isn't that enough for God? 
I gave God what, he, what God deserves. I've already given God his. Can I have the rest? We do this all the time, too. God, didn't, didn't you know? You want me to do that hard thing? You want me to talk to that person? You want me to love that person? You want me to serve that person? But I had a quiet time this morning. You want me to have that hard, loving conversation with that person? But Jesus, don't you know what I already did for you today? You want me to go two miles? Didn't you know I already went one? It doesn't take away from what Obadiah did. It doesn't take away from what you've done. He just wants it all. God wants it all. Has not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord. How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. I mean, this thing is so serious that he knows to hide them in two separate compartments in case they find one, right? These are bad times. These are hard. Don't miss that Elijah's in some hard times and that Obadiah is in some hard times. He's serious. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives. Um, hosts, what does that word mean? Most, most Bibles are going to translate that word, hosts. And we read over it and we kind of, oh, that sounds nice. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, hosts means uh, armies. And specifically in this context, Heavenly armies. God, who is in charge of everything, including massive celestial armies of angels, as that God lives. Obadiah, I know it looks hard because you can't see what God sees. You've got stuff in your life that is hard right now and you cannot see how God sees. That does not mean that he's not the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabbath. Sometimes it's how it gets translated in hymns and stuff. That's what it's talking about. The Lord of heavenly hosts. The Lord of armies. Angel armies. Go tell your Lord. So Obadiah. And the Lord of hosts lives. For whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. I know the cost is high. It's more dangerous for me than it is for you, Obadiah. I ain't going nowhere. I'll take it out on me. Don't worry, buddy. I don't think he said buddy. It's not in the Hebrew. But When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now, Ahab... Oh, Elijah will fill us. And I'll let Elijah say it. It's better that way. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. This, this word Baal in Hebrew, it means owner, is another word for this word. The Baals. Um, it's plural. It's plural for the gods of uh, the various people, the Phoenician gods, and different people worship the Baals. The main Baal uh, is one who calls himself what? The Lord of hosts. That's what he calls himself. He's the sun god. The god of heaven is what they worship. A pretend God that they're saying is the real God. Right? There's a bunch of other ones, but that's the main one. And so he's saying, here's the deal. I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and fallen males. 
Elijah, you've ruined everything. You've ruined our plan. We set up some pretend gods. Business is booming. Life is good. We're doing what we want. We're living as our own gods. Money is flowing in. Grain is flowing in. We're having some fun because they're the Baals and everything's a little looser with them. We're having a lot more fun. We're doing things we want to do. And then you have to go and pray to that God and talk to him about all the sin we're sinning. It's your fault, Elijah. Your fault. Uh, this is reminiscent of uh, 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 1 Thessalonians. This response is reminiscent of 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul straight up says, hey, I'm telling you what God says about sin in the, in the realm of sexual immorality. And if you take issue with me, you're not taking issue with me, you're taking issue with God. Right? Elijah's just the prophet. He's just the mouthpiece. Elijah's the one who prayed. Yeah, and God's the one who stopped the rain. But as far as Ahab is concerned, it's Elijah's fault everything's going so horrible. Would God have stopped the rain if Ahab loved the God of the Bible and served him and followed him all the days of his life? The rain is a direct consequence of the worship of these pretend gods. Is a consequence of the worship of these pretend gods. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel. If you're excited about this next passage as I am, uh, we're not going to get there today, so I've let you down. But we'll get there next week. It'll be awesome. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 40 prophets of Asherah uh, who eat at Jezebel's table. Bring you and your dudes who worship the pretend gods and are doing miracles uh, ultimately by demonic work. Bring them. Bring it. Do it. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. No compromise here. He's calling them not to compromise. They're probably dabbling in both. You know? If God owns Sunday morning, does he own Saturday night? You like the things of Jesus, but you don't really like Jesus and all the things. You don't really like giving him your whole life. The world's calling you not to give him your whole life. Yeah, he was a nice guy. Listen to him. Be nice to people. Turn the other cheek. Be kind. But don't you dare touch our pretend gods. Don't you dare. And Elijah here stands against the status quo. The hundred other prophets are hidden. Everyone else is dead. And he shows up on the scene. And he says, you are supposed to be God's people. If you're going to worship God, worship God. If you're going to stand on the truth, stand on the truth. Don't soft sell it. Don't soft pedal it. Don't sell it out. Seven. Uh, observations I think we need to pull out of this text. Because this is one of those texts when you get to, you're like, what do I do with it? Because, I mean, there's about to be a rumble and it's awesome, but this is pretty straightforward. What can we learn from Elijah in this spot and really from the God he serves? So Elijah's got some audacity. He's got some courage here. Because he's standing with the Lord of hosts as he goes after the sin and stands on the truth. And as people in Seattle who, who live here, we need to do this in a particular way. We need to do this in the gospel. 
because we have a world that's asking us to just say it's all about being a good person and if I just recycle, everything's going to be fine. If I'm just nice to people and kind to people, everything's going to be fine and cool and hunky-dory because I'm good enough, I can do it. Or we just want people to say, you know what? You know, you're not like Stalin and therefore you can while out and have fun and party and, uh, you know, do whatever you want. Just don't hurt anybody, right? Which is always defined by the person who wants to do whatever they want as they walk around objectifying people and causing harm everywhere. So number one, we need to have the audacity to be light in the darkness. If you go with me to Matthew chapter 5, everyone likes, and I do too, I really like uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, and we'll get there. But I think, and I'm not the only one to observe this, I think Jesus has something in mind here, starting in 11. Start in 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of King Jesus, belongs to those who stand with Jesus. They don't make excuses for Jesus. They don't sell out Jesus. They don't soft-pedal Jesus. They stand with Jesus. Blessed are you. If you read the Beatitudes, you've walked through all the stuff where it's talked about blessed are the, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, uh, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And all of a sudden, Jesus in this moment turns the sermon around and makes it about you and, and me, right? Blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you, and are there all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Wait, there's a cost for this thing? There's a cost for Elijah to stand with God? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets, fill in, like Elijah, who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the people's feet. If we get in, give in to the storms of the status quo and there's no, there's no uh, bifurcation between the church and the world and we just look like everything else uh, because we've sold out Jesus and we've sold out the gospel and we've sold out, there's nothing you can do to earn the love of God that was all done for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. If we sell out the reality of who he is and what he has done for all who would come to him, his cross and be part of his kingdom. We sell that out and there's nothing between us and everyone else. I think one of the ways that we are 14 is you are the light of the world. He has in mind this fact that we stand and say Jesus is enough. We stand on the grace of God and cling tightly to who he is. We cling tightly to the doctrines of grace. We cling cling tightly to the reality of loving God and loving others because God loved us first. We cling tightly to the radicality of the gospel that we bring nothing to God but empty hands. And we cling to that radicality that gives us the freedom to love people because we've been so profoundly and deeply loved by the God of the universe that all we have left for others is to pour the love of our hearts out onto them, love them and serve them and stand on the truth of who he is while they're persecuting you, while they're making fun of you, while you're working at a restaurant and people are just saying, you can't possibly believe that. You don't believe that dusty old book, do you? You know, that's, a, that's not what it says in the original language. I mean, I, I don't speak Hebrew, but I saw a PBS special that said so. 
You can't possibly buy it. What about Q? Q doesn't exist. Wait, what do you mean? The guy from Princeton on PBS said Q, this thing, Q. Yeah, it doesn't exist. No one's got it. Oh, no one told me that. Yeah, read a book. Do some research. But we do that with love and kindness. And they're picking on you at school. And they're picking on you at work. And you've got that cousin or that uncle who saw that thing on the History Channel. Who's never even read the Bible. And they just pick on you. And it's like, just drip, drip. The storm isn't always the rager. It's the day in and the day out. And then you stand and you love them. And you say, Jesus is enough for me. And I do believe him. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, the first orphanages that were ever created, I have a buddy who is a social worker, who is a Christian, who loves Jesus and gets to help foster kids. And he was telling me, so I get this from him, that the first orphanage in the world was started by Christians. That in that time and the place, when people didn't want a baby for whatever reason, they put them on the outside of the city. And the Christians would walk around the city every day looking for children who other people didn't want. They would pick them up. They would take them in. They would love them. They would serve them. And they would raise them as their own to the point they're like, we need to start building a place for all these kids to live. You can't hide that. You can't hide the orphanage. You've got to build one. Right? Roman soldiers who were sent to persecute Christians in the six persecutions uh, across the early church would get left behind by the, the other troops and the Christians who they were going to kill and persecute would take them in, bandage them up, heal them up, and they say, why would you love your enemy? And they would say, because we were enemies of God and he in Christ loved us first. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Yes, many of them became Christians. Nor do people light a lamp or put it under a basket or put on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is not simply being a good person until someone asks about your good personness and, and, and tries to find out what yoga studio or Zen Buddhist meditation center you're a part of. This is standing in the truth of the gospel. This is being a Christian. This is not being a jerk, but being an open, honest, straightforward, city loving Christian. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that glorifies God. Because it turns out uh, in a city like ours, sometimes when you say you're a Christian, even if it's because they ask because you did something kind, uh, it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. And we're going to kind of keep your mind in, in that text and, and we're going to keep going, okay? Uh, one, number two, in the midst of the storm of the status quo, we have to have the audacity to be gracious, loving, and kind people. It is audacious to turn the other cheek. It takes courage and boldness to go the second mile. Uh, it is hard to pray for your enemies and love those who persecute you. Elijah is going to call Israel to repentance. He's not simply going to throw rocks at their pretend gods. He's going to them so that they might tear their pretend gods down. 
right? If you're a parent in the city, you have to teach your kids this. There are things that are scary for kids all over the place. Things you have to teach your kids, even at a young age, to avert their eyes from. Because we live in the city that we do. And even in a, in a, in a kid's life, they can even... Why would someone build a place like that? Why would someone do that to someone's kids? Or, or why would those hotels... Whatever it might be. And you've you got to keep it three. You've got to keep it four. You've got to keep it five. You've got to keep it age appropriate. But you've got to start talking about this stuff with them today. Because there's injustice, objectification, and all kinds of stuff happening in our city. And they have eyes and they can see. And, and little kids are quick to go, I wish someone, someone would tear that thing down. We should tear that thing down. And you have to explain to your children, uh, we are not the ones who tear it down. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would save the owner of that particular establishment and that he would tear it down. We want his heart. We want him to take the, the temple down. We want them to take the bowels down. I think that's what Elijah's doing. He's going to call them to repentance. And the fuel for our graciousness is not white-knuckling morality so we can have the higher moral ground. Though if you turn the other cheek, you will. It's a byproduct, right? If you love and serve people, you will have the higher moral ground. But that's not why we do it. That's pragmatic. That's a strategy. Let God worry about that. We turn the other cheek because Jesus came and turned the other cheek. We come because he stood in my place condemned. And it's this fuel for graciousness. It's not about you pinning someone down uh, at the gas pump. You've seen them put the, the pump in. They pull the trigger. You've got five minutes and a chick track. Is that? Nobody knows what those are? Okay. Fine. They put it in and you, and you just you waylay upon them and you yell at them and you're a jerk to them and you, and you get a sign out and you tell them to repent. Yeah, they need to repent. Yeah, call your friends to repentance. Call your friends to turn from Jesus, or turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Yes, absolutely. But do it with graciousness and kindness and love. Because Jesus did it with graciousness, kindness, and love. Number three, in all this, we have to have the audacity to be misunderstood. How misunderstood is Elijah in the moment when Ahab looks at him and says, You troubler of Israel. Wrong, Ahab. You're the troubler of Israel. We have to be audacious. Uh, uh, I, I've made friends with people who it starts out kind of rocky. Oh, you're a Christian. You must hate blah, 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 blah. No, I love them. I don't agree with them. I want them to meet Jesus. I want them to, be, to repent. You've got to put your cards on the table but something happens when someone gets in your face and misunderstands you and you walk in graciousness and kindness and peace with them. It's disarming. They don't know what to do about it. Well, I was being a jerk to you. You're supposed to be a jerk back to me. And uh, you know, and then there's a story I can tell my buddy later about when I was a jerk to you and you were a jerk to me. No, I won't be a jerk to you. But I have to be willing to be misunderstood. I have to be willing to be misrepresented uh, to go in God's ways rather than repaying evil for evil. I have to trust God sometimes. I have to trust God when people gossip. You have to trust God when people gossip about your friends, mis misrepresent you, say things about you that aren't true. You just have to trust Jesus in it to an extent that your response isn't to turn around and gossip about them. 
James warns us, gossip's demonic, and sometimes we're trying, well, I got to do damage control. There's this thing, Facebook now, and I'm doing damage control about Facebook. Be misrepresented. Jesus was misrepresented. You can be misrepresented because Jesus was misrepresented. Uh, His family, right, in Mark's gospel, what does his family do? They show up, well, the Pharisees are busy saying, he's demon-possessed. His family shows up and says, you're crazy. They do, they say he's crazy. Mama's there, his brothers are there, where all the religious leaders in town are saying, he's demon-possessed. His family shows up and says, he's a lunatic, and we got to take him home. And Jesus allows himself to be misrepresented. And he keeps going, and he keeps preaching. He keeps going. Which also means when you're misrepresented, he knows. You can go to him with it. To be light in the darkness, to to do this, to stand in the storm, uh, we have to have the audacity to defend religion. And by that I really mean false religion. Ahab's got religion. They've got priests, they've got prophets, they've got stuff they're doing. And Elijah says, that's not it. That's not the ticket to God. That's not the way to do it. It's not about what you do. The gospel, the reality of the gospel is that this is not about what you have done to get up to God, but what God has done to get down to you. Reading your Bible, being part of a church community, these things are not superfluous. Uh, Loving justice like God loves justice is not superfluous. But these are not the things in your life that make you right in the world. These do not justify your existence in Seattle. These are things that we do because our existence has been justified by God, who is a man who rose from the dead and is sitting, ruling, and reigning on the throne. So yeah, we do religious... You can't... I don't know where that came from. Uh, We do things. We are devoted to Jesus, but we're faithful to him because he's been faithful to us. He's misunderstood here. Jesus was misunderstood by religious people. They called him a demon-possessed dude because he wasn't following the rules. And if you live in the freedom of the gospel, if you stand firm in the freedom of the gospel, you will offend religious folk, false religious folk. That's what I'm after there. Not only that, but we have to have the audacity to offend worldliness. Our life is an indictment at times. When you're at the restaurant and you work there and it gets around that you don't roll the same way as everybody else, you, you didn't go up to the bar after shift and you didn't tell them they're drinking too much and, and you didn't tell them who or how they can date. They just found out you don't do it the way they do it. What's wrong with me? You got a problem with me? No, I don't have a problem with you. I love Jesus. You got a problem with me? There are times when our life in and of itself is an indictment against a world lived in rebellion against Jesus. And you're not even being a jerk about it. It just bums people out. It offends worldliness when you won't live for a love of money, when you uh, forego the rat race, when, when you do whatever. Jesus was not afraid to call people out, to, to, to walk in with them and call them to more than worldliness and pretend gods. 
And, and the thing is, is that this is the deal, right? You can kind of put your light, going back to Matthew 5, two big baskets you can put over the light. You live in a way that's so worldly and synced up with the way everybody else does it that no one can even tell you're a Christian. Or you live in a way that's so religious and judgmental, negative, false religion, religious, so judgmental and works-based that no one wants in on what you've got. Because what you've got is the same thing everybody else has. You're just having less fun and more cranky about it than everybody else. (laughs) That was my experience, seventh grade. Well, Grandma, literally, uh, there's many paths up one mountain. It seems like there are funner paths up that mountain. Well, yeah, sure. That's stupid. <laughs> and, and when you traffic, when you walk in these things, it, <laughs> it puts people off in both ways. There's that scene where Jesus has this woman who's a sinner like you and me, weeping at his feet and drying his feet and crying. And the religious guy just looks at Jesus and thinks, if he knew what kind of gal that was, he must not be. He must not be who he says he is. Of course, that's what he responds. Hey, dude, um, if, if one dude owes somebody 45 bucks, another guy owes him 200 bucks, and he forgives both the debts, who feels more forgiven? Well, the guy, the guy who owes the 200 bucks, of course, because he's forgiven 200 bucks. Yeah, she knows how forgiven she is. You need some help, pal. You need some help. Jesus has the audacity to trust the Spirit. So does Elijah. Elijah's about to have a very serious rumble. I don't know how other... This cool stuff's about to happen. There's fire coming down from the sky, and Elijah's going to tell jokes. <laughs> it's coming. You can read, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read ahead. The rest of 18 is amazing. <laughs> we'll get there next week. He trusts that God's going to show up. He trusts the Holy Spirit is going to show up when he shows up to call Ahab out. He trusts the Spirit's going to move. We have to trust the Spirit's going to move. You've got your friends who don't know Jesus, and for some reason, they seem to want to study the Bible with you. They want to ask you questions. They want to sit down. They don't understand why you would think the way you think. Can we get coffee? Yeah, sure. And so you, and don't get me wrong, study up. No apologetics. Be able to answer hard questions. But even that stuff, if that plane is going to land with them seeing who Jesus is, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do it. Yeah, study. You want to study Hebrew? Let's go. I'm no good at it. But I'll teach you the alphabet, right? That's all I got. Study. No apologetics. Know where you stand. Know what the Bible says. Know it inside and out. But you being smart enough is not what will save them. The Holy Spirit saves. Know it inside and out. I'm serious. you got to know it. We live in a city that it counts. But at the end of the day, it's still the Holy Spirit who's going to use you to land the plane. We don't pray for the sick in such a way that we're like, well, he might show up. In a minute, Elijah's going to pray fire down. He's not, well, he, he might show up. We have the audacity to trust the Holy Spirit in our day to life. Uh, and we have the audacity to believe God. Last one. Uh, if you'd go with me to Second um, Corinthians with no note. Second Corinthians 9, starting in verse 8. For though we walk in the flesh, here as we see things, as we see things, 
We are not waging war according to the flesh. This isn't survival of the fittest. This isn't how many push-ups you can do. This isn't uh, theological arm wrestling. For the weapon of our warfare, warfare, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We live in a world that on one level or another is working against the truth of who Jesus is, whether it's you're good enough by the things you do or while out and do keg stands or whatever it might be. Everything is taking us away from who he is, what he has done, seeing him, knowing him, trusting him, and doing life in the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Elijah believed God. We believe God. We believe that his truth is the deal. His truth is the jam. His truth is the power. His Spirit applying the truth is what lands the plane. Because we can believe God because this isn't a, a dusty old constitution. This is, this is alive. This is real. This is the truth. This is the real story. Jesus Christ came to save sinners like you and me. To know God. To love God. To live in the power of God and the Spirit. And everything about the world that we live outside of that is going to call that into question every day. All the time. And as we stand on the truth of who God is and who Jesus is and what the gospel is, we stand like lighthouses. We stand as light in the darkness. We offer something else than this thing, whether it's false religion, which is just a cancer on the soul, or trying to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment from something other than Jesus, from the keg stands, from the weekend warrior, which is just cancer on the soul, from the love of money, which is cancer, all these things. But we know him who fixes it all. And we bring it in love and in truth and in spirit to this city. And we're light in the darkness as we stand audaciously with him, the truth, Jesus in the midst of the storm of the status quo. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the anchor of our soul. We live in a world that is more than turbulent. We come to love a city in a time and in a place that I think honestly surprises this time and this place. We come for you, Jesus. We come in your name to bring the truth of the love, the truth of the blood, the truth of the cross, the truth of the resurrection, the truth that you created all good. We broke it. You're fixing it, and you're going to fix it. You have come, Jesus. We stand in that truth as we love the downtrodden, as we love justice, as we love mercy, as we love evangelism, as we love your word, as we love prayer, because all these things are things we're doing in response to who you are. In your holiness and in your love, Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to walk in your ways and live for your glory. We love you, Jesus. Amen.